introduce you to any guests who may be here. I appreciate the kindness that many in our church family show by making sure that they're reaching out. And if you're a guest, we definitely don't want you to feel awkward or out of place and want you to feel welcomed. I can't say I want you to feel comfortable because that's not the type of church we are. Matter of fact, I want all of you to feel a little uncomfortable because that's what the scriptures do to you. They create a little bit of uncomfortableness in, within yourself in certain areas. And so, but we are honored that you've chosen to be in service with us today. And I want to ask you to stand up with me today and we're going to go right to the reading of scripture. It's in Luke's gospel that I'll begin. There's going to be two passages or there's actually four passages of scripture, total reading verses of about 10 or 12 verses, not a lot. But it's going to be the context that's created by this reading of scripture here today. And first in Luke's gospel, chapter number five, and let's go ahead and read verse number verse number 13 for a minute. I'll let you have time to find it there and they'll post it on the screen. But I love to hear the sound of your Bible pages turning. That means you're following our encouragement, and that is you're bringing your Bible with you to church. You're getting familiar with the Bible, uh, which is a very important part of your learning and your personal discipleship. Amen? Verse number 5 says, And he said unto them, that's Jesus, that he hears Jesus, Which of you shall have a friend, and shall go unto him at midnight, and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine is in his journey, is come to me, I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not. Understand, this is a parable teaching a principle, okay? The principle here begins to unfold. The door is now shut from within. The voice is now heard. First voice was the man who's on the journey, who's fr or his friend has showed up, and he's going to his neighbor to ask. He doesn't have the resources to meet his friend's need. But the, the other brother is not wanting to get up out of bed. Um, and trouble me not, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give to him as many as he needeth, which is it's his persistency. And I say unto you, now read these words, ask, and it shall be given you. That's a good place to say amen. Seek. And you shall find, and remember in the King James, the ye is singular. And ye shall find, so this is very directive to an individual here, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. To him that knocketh it shall be opened. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? If he ask a fish, will he, give, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg... Which he will offer him, will he offer him a scorpion? And the obvious answer is no. If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Now I could stop right there, and that's a powerful passage of Scripture to challenge us in our faith. How much more? I want to be a part of the people that persistently and consistently ask of God's power to be made known to us in our lives at all different levels through the power of His Holy Spirit. Amen? Now let's go a little farther. Let's read John's gospel. Just three verses here. John's Jesus' exhortation. There's a lot of depth to this passage as because of the Feast of the Tabernacles, the location of when this... Um, this exhortation takes place here at the pool 
But we're not going to focus on all that today. We're just going to focus kind of on the latter verse here of the 39th. We're going to read to verse 37, though, and we're going to see Jesus in his frustration to people who were following the order of Judaism and were following all of the rituals and the offering of the water that had been taken down to the, to the pool and was being presented into the temple. Jesus said in that last day of the feast that says, Jesus stood and cried, 37th verse, which means he lifted his voice up loud. And without amplification, he spoke as loud as he could for all to hear him. If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. That's powerful right there, isn't it? Verse 39, but this spake he of the Spirit which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given because that Jesus was not yet glorified. And the obvious context here is that with faith in Christ would come uh, and you would be a recipient of the, of the Holy Spirit and uh, that we should receive. And I love the phrase, though, there, out of your own belly shall be a river of living water. It shall flow from within. In 1 Timothy chapter number 4 is three verses, and then in 2 Timothy chapter number 1 is one verse, so four remaining verses before we pray today. So we're going to 1 Timothy chapter number 4. It's familiar verses to me, and I'll share with you why I diverted to a familiar passage and a familiar subject matter here in just a moment. Verse number 14 says in chapter number 4 of 1 Timothy, and this is Paul writing, and if Paul is writing to a, a protege in the faith, one that's traveled with him personally, that he calls his own son in the faith, and gives this exhortation, then how much more is it for you and I today to heed the words of Paul in relation to the subject matter that he mentions very briefly here? Verse 14, neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy, with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. And that's powerful in and of itself that I'll be sharing with here in a few moments. Meditate upon these things. These things and the, some of our spiritual things should not end when the service concludes. And no matter of fact, there's a great point while ago about you may be healed as you go. Oftentimes, as you meditate upon things, is when spiritual revelation takes place. Truth, and it begins more real to you. He said, meditate upon these things, give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting, he's speaking to Timothy directly, profiting or your progress may appear to all. So that as everybody begins to see what God's doing in your life, they're going to take note of it. Take heed unto yourself and unto the doctrine, finally. He says, continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. It's certainly a pastoral exhortation. It's called the pastoral epistles. We'll turn to the second epistle, and we'll read just one verse of Scripture here. So once again, this too is a familiar verse of Scripture, but I want to just kind of weave these together here in a few moments. Now Paul says to Timothy, wherefore I put thee in remembrance. He's reminding Timothy of the need to do this, that thou, I can't do it for you. Paul is saying to Timothy, I cannot do this for you. You have to stir up the gift of God, which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. And so today, this is the context of my thought that I wanted to speak to you about for just a moment. And I want to, and this, this right here, it's grasping. And what you think about that when you grasp something. It's important that you grasp it and hold to certain spiritual truths. How many believe that? There's other passages where the Bible actually uses that phrase about holding to certain spiritual truths. 
So I've got a title that's created a context, Grasping the Slippery Baton of Pentecostalism. Grasping the Slippery Baton of Pentecostalism. Let that sink in. We'll talk about it here more in just a moment. So let's pray. Father, I love you. I'm grateful, as always, and feel privileged, above all else in this room, to have an opportunity to speak the Word of God. My dependency is upon you today, entirely and completely, for in myself... The scripture says there is no good thing, but I revert, Father, to the gift of God, and I've agitated and stirred up my own gift, the gift that's inside of me, that too came by, Father, also came by the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. So God, today I'm grateful for this in Jesus' name, and everybody said amen and amen, and you can be seated. I want to take you into the world of the pastor for just a moment of time. You know, oftentimes I try to do that. I know what it's like to live life on that side of the podium in the pulpit. You, uh, most of you do not know what it's like to live life on this side of the podium. And so I like to just every now and then take uh, you uh, into our perspective as ministers and to kind of, you know, contemplate and see what makes us, you know, um, tick, so to speak, and how we adapt to the call of God that God's placed upon us. The call of God is unique. To each one of us and those that are called in five-fold ministry offices, if you're familiar with what I mean by five-fold ministry, you understand that's Ephesians 4. God said he gave gifts to the church. The apostle, prophet, I'm waiting on you, the evangelist, we're going to go in order, the pastor, and the teacher, right? We call that the five-fold ministry offices. Apostolic offices, the Bible says plainly, they are given to the church and their callings, and all of us that began many years ago to discern a voice or a call in our life, began to flesh out and work out our own salvation and determining how and what means God had called us and what giftings God had placed. You have to learn to function in your own giftings. One thing I've learned, you can't fabricate the gifts of God. You can't just emulate, I can't go to a conference of prophets and come home and prophesy. If the gift of God is not inside me to prophesy, then all I'll do is cast false visions in front of you that will ultimately lead to your error and to my reproach. And so I don't want to do that. But once over a period of time, you'll begin to see the thing that is placed inside you create some comfortableness. I found my attention for just a brief moment in my studies that I chose not to go this direction for my sermon, but I always find enlightenment in David's moment inside of Saul's tent. Now, let me share with you for a moment what, the, what I mean by that is. Now, we're, we're often aware of when D David dwelt in Saul's house and the contention that arose because of Saul's jealousy. But he was in Saul's tent for just a few minutes. And it was after he had heard the uh, threats of Goliath on the valley floor of Ella challenging the Israelite armies who were hiding in their tents. Send a man to fight me. Don't let every man have to battle this one out. The Philistine champion cried out. But Israel was afraid because of the stature of Goliath. But when David, carrying cheese and refreshments to his brothers and the other men of arms, heard the accusation, it's odd how that when the gift of God is at work inside you, what causes somebody else to fear awakens a boldness inside of you and rather than retreat like the other soldiers, David was emboldened to say, don't let any man's heart fail him because of fear. Your servant, King Saul, will go and fight 
Goliath. And David was given an opportunity to stand in Saul's tent for a few moments. Once it was affirmed in his communication with Saul that he would go and fight the Goliath, the giant, the Bible narrative says this, that Saul attempted to put his armor on David. So he put upon him, plainly even defines it for us, put a helmet on him, put a coat of mail. Now, in your mind, you're thinking, that's what I would want. Matter of fact, I would want a bazooka, right? I would want something that would make me feel like that I was now, you know, armed adequately to fight somebody who's almost double my stature and height, been a warrior since his youth, been trained in all the skills of the, uh, of the, war, uh, of the Philistines, and, and the Bible says that he put, uh, Saul put his sword on him, put a mail of coat or coat of mail on him, put a, a, a helmet in, uh, upon him, a shield. And David attempts to leave the tent with that type of, of warfare armor on him. And, he, and he's clumbersome and he's stumbling. And, you know what, and then he said, you know what, I can't do this. I can't do this because I've not proven my ability to wield the sword. I've not proven my ability to trust a male or a coat, you know, you know what that is, that mail that they would wear, that steel mesh to protect them from injury. He said, I've not proven my ability. He said, but he said, there's one thing I'm comfortable with. There's one thing I have proven, and that's this little leather sling. This little leather sling, because I've proven it time after time. I, it's a giftedness that God's given. He recognized that he had a giftedness. So he went down to a brook, and out of the waters of that brook, he chose five smooth stones. And with those five smooth stones and a staff in his hand and a sling in the other, he had the confidence to stare down Goliath. Now, that's powerful. Why am I saying that all to you today? Is we have to know our giftings and our callings. And us as pastors, we have to know. And so there are times that you have to revert. And, you know, prophetic, I, I observed Pastor Andre for a moment. Pastor Andre told me in, his, in a private conversation that when he moved into a prophetic ministry, he told the Lord, he said, Lord, I can't prepare sermons like the pastoral sermon preparation because, see, we study all week for one message. We'll pick up this, pick up that, glean this, and we'll sit down on a Saturday night. For me, it's a Friday morning, and we'll try to put together a sermon, and we'll bring that to you. And then the subject matter is going to change week by week by week. But Pastor Andre was going to be in the house of God every night, night after night after night. He can't spend hours. You know, I may come up here, and I'll spend hours in sermon preparation. He can't. He doesn't have time, so he would have to revert to a prophetic gift to be agitated in his own heart and life. Then we think of the evangelist, and the evangelist used the, the sway of emotion oftentimes to move the people in a powerful way. And I was reminded of a sermon that I heard years ago from Dean Caldwell. I alluded to that on Sunday a week ago. But I also remember a moment when Brother Dean was preaching at our church at MacArthur Assembly of God in Jacksonville when I was a young man in ministry. And following his preaching, I just happened to be up on the platform, and his preaching sermon notebook was there. And Brother Dean was a powerful preacher and a tremendous memory, and he preached, uh, you know, both doctrine, but he also did use the tool of emotion to uh, be able to get people to respond, because oftentimes that's what's needed by an evangelist. An evangelist is compelling people to come forward. You need that vortex of movement. And I was, we stood in awe, and when I was saw, I happened to see his sermon notebook up there. It was a powerful word, and then at, there was a date beside every time that he had preached that. And I got to counting, and that was the 25th time that he had preached that message. And I thought to myself, well, man, I could get pretty good too. If I had preached that message 25 times. But as an evangelist, that was a tool that he needed to use. And so he had worked that message out. Well, as a pastor... 
moments for me is to revert to my greatest gifting. And that greatest gifting is comparable to shepherding. It's complementary to shepherding. But I can be prophetic. I can also compel. But my greatest gift is to be a teacher. To be a teacher because the Bible exhorts us to, to, to be taught the Word of God. And for us, Paul told Timothy, the things that you've seen in me. He said, I want you to teach other men and then let those other men teach others also. A training and a discipleship. And so I, I want to talk to you a little bit about today about Pentecostalism. Because I want you to understand that Pentecostalism cannot be defined just simply by our heritage. And it can't simply be defined by the title of a denomination that's on the building outside that you go to that says we are a Pentecostal church or a charismatic church. But just so that we're all on the same page with this very quickly, there are different phrases or words that have been used to define the movement that you and I are a part of, correct? Most familiar to us is Pentecostal. There are those that are shocked to learn that we're Pentecostal because you have a mental image of what Pentecostalism is in your mind and you're kind of shocked to learn that we are Pentecostal. Pentecostal is typically used to define those whose doctrinal belief is consistent or is tied to the day of Pentecost, the original day of Pentecost of Acts chapter number 2, where the Bible records that the Spirit of God fell on the group of 120 men and women gathered somewhere in the court of the temple in ancient Jerusalem and for the promise of the Father. Jesus had told His disciples, you're familiar with this. He said, depart not from Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. And so they waited longed for and so it happened on the day of Pentecost and from that when this movement began to morph over a hundred years ago out of the holiness movement we moved from the holiness movement into the Pentecostal movement because we believe that that experience of Acts chapter 2 had not faded into antiquity but it's still prevalent and it's still available for us if we will yet believe and so I still could define myself a Pentecostal. Many of you are familiar with the term. I know you're going to pass around. Where are you going with this? Well, stay with me. Charismatic. Charismatic often makes association. The word charisma in the original language means grace or gifts, the gifts of God. So when you think about charismatic, you think about the gifts of the Spirit, not just speaking in other tongues, not just the day of Pentecost, but the, the gifts of the Spirit that are mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12 and also in 1 Corinthians 14. Some like to be defined as spirit-filled. Ephesians chapter number 5, Paul the Apostle says, Do not be drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Spirit-filled. I like that term, don't you? I want to be known as somebody that's filled with the Spirit of God. Another term that's kind of faded in our generation, but it was prevalent about 30 years ago, is called full gospel. Full gospel churches is the context. It made an association to the necessity of the church to evangelize with the complete gospel. For me personally, Pentecostal or spirit-filled are the terms I most often use to create awareness of my own personal doctrine and experience. I'm not ashamed to be called Pentecostal today. And I know it may change and it might not look like the Pentecostal, what it might have looked like previously in your mindset, but I'm not ashamed of that today. As a matter of fact, I, I want to hold very closely to the baton of Pentecostalism that's been passed and handed off to us. We have a very rich heritage church family. We're a part of something far greater than we are. We're a part of a group of men and women that believes that God is still pouring His Spirit out upon all flesh. And that the Spirit of God will fall upon each person who believes, who sets their heart to believe for more of God. 
Pentecostalism has changed much in the 100 plus years of its movement. The reality is many of these changes are positive, but many of these changes or tendencies can also be negative. Let me go ahead and highlight just a couple of the negatives, and this is not a negative sermon. It's actually a very encouraging sermon, but here's the reality. There is a little bit of negativism in this, that we have misplaced the theology of sanctification and holiness within the Pentecostal movement. One of the forefronts of the, the theology of Pentecostalism built its, uh, you know, it built its doctrine upon the foundation of holiness. Today's culture of Pentecostals who don't even know they're Pentecostals has very little understanding in related to sanctification and holiness. It's a struggle to even teach it because we have so moved the pendulum to the other side that we can't seem to find the truth that often hangs somewhere near the middle. And I know there were some good things to move away from. I know there were times that the Pentecostal movement preached you into hell week after week after week for any little mistake you made. And so I know we needed to move away from that theology. And, and, and yet at the same time, and I know there was some legalism that had crept in and that began to be labeled uh, as a part of sanctification, but it might have actually been legalism. I understand that too. I've studied Pentecostalism with great uh, depth. But at the same time, I do believe that we need to, uh, that it's our lack of sincere desire to live a sanctified and holy life that's the biggest hindrance to this movement. Because here's where we're at in our culture today. We specialize more in pursuing carnal venues without conviction than in personal consecration and separation from that which is evil. We want people to celebrate our freedom in Christ. I can do this. I can do that. I can go there. I can drink this. I can watch that. And don't you dare judge me. So we've got all that. We're good at that. But what about just saying, you know what? This is not the legal tenets of the church, but this is my conviction. I want to live separate from it because I understand I got a holy oil on my head that flowed down and separated me from the filth of the world. It doesn't take long to observe the lives of people that don't know of the work and the power of the Holy Spirit of how degrading and, 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 and terrible life can be, how, how divisive and, and how much sin and iniquity and confusion and strife. I don't want you can live like that if you want to. The sow that was washed can go back to wallowing in the mire. But as for me, I've been clean and I want to live in a, come on, I want to live in a holiness and a life that's pleasing to God. And I want to encourage you. I believe we grieve the Spirit in us and among us by an unholy lifestyle. That's one of the negatives in our generation. Number two, I just wrote down two that were kind of negative. Our willingness, our unwillingness to linger in God's presence. Now I'm telling you, the church world has so changed in the 30 plus years that I've been involved in Pentecostalism. We're in days going, in just the 30 years. So I can only imagine to those that have a 50-year history or a 70-year history of Pentecostalism when I have to do this right here. Oh, I'll try. I, can't, I just can't do it. I can't stand on my head. I can't spin on my head to try to get you to come out to a Sunday night service. I do everything but pay you gold and silver to only get about a third or a fourth or a fifth or a sixth. Of you, Because in days gone by, that's what people did. In Pentecost, they lingered in the presence of God. They waited in the presence of God. They longed for these things. And yet, at the same time today, we have lost so much of that lingering in God's presence. Let me tell you, many times, the good things of God happen when people go that way, and you get a lot of the unbelief and the confusion out of the way, and the people that linger are the people that often receive. 
I'm just telling you like I've observed it. Don't shoot me because I'm telling you the truth. That was a terrible job of standing in my head, wasn't it? Wouldn't that have been a horrific moment if I'd have flipped right over there? But you understood what I was meaning by that, though. Number, but switching real quickly, though, on the positive, though, the positive, though, within Pentecostalism today, we value corporate worship on a deeper level than previous generations. The previous generation, the emphasis was on praise. We went to the outer court, and a lot of times we stayed in the outer court, and there was a beat, and there was a pulsating, and there was a dance, and there was something. That's all good, and, that's, and I understand it, and I can, a lot of those songs are still locked up inside me. But at the same time, there's a depth to worship. Come on, there's a depth. Praise takes us into that deeper communion with God. I tell you what, I see people that praise God that go out and live an unholy life. But when you really become a worshiper, you want to lay your own self on that altar. The song we said, I lay me down. That's all I've got to offer God today is me. I lay myself, my will, my mind, my emotions, my thoughts, my callings, my career, everything about me. I want to lay it down at the feet of Jesus as an offering unto God. And worship takes me into it. And I commend the Pentecostal worship leaders of this generation because the Bible says a humble and a contrite heart God will in no wise despise. And it brings the glory of God and produces the distinct fruit of the Spirit of God in our lives. But in order for us to not let the slippery baton of Pentecostalism pass through our hands, you and I must, and it can, don't think for a moment that in one brief era, right here on our time, in our timeline, that Pentecostalism can slip right through our fingers. We'll be like some of the denominations uh, that we see today that at one time were on fire for God, and now they're almost a dead sect. It won't be long if we're not careful. So hear this point and hear it very carefully and closely. In order to not let the slippery baton of Pentecostalism pass through our hands, we must not be afraid to speak in other tongues. Let me go ahead and just bring it out today. You got to get the cat out of the bag. Better than bringing the snakes out on Sunday morning. Come on, somebody. Speaking in tongues is that mysterious yet controversial work of the Spirit that is often linked to spirit baptism that is embraced by many, embraced by most, but it is shunned by others. But today, let me tell you, if we embrace spirit baptism without speaking in other tongues, we will have let that baton slip right through our fingers. You have to be very careful. I'm not afraid to say, number one, I'm Pentecostal. But number two, that I speak with other tongues, the value of it. I don't believe all of my experience with God is, is, is related exactly to speaking other tongues, but it is connected to it. And I want to share with you today just real quickly about the text. So I want to make sure my responsibility, your responsibility, is that we hold dearly to a baton that was passed to us. Because the culture in which we live in today, you want me to be culturally relevant today? Listen, we live in a culture today where men and women have fed themselves with so much media that is filled with such demonic activity 
from the movies and the shows and the music. You, you know, in days gone by, if you were going to be a cultic and you were going to worship around a cauldron and you were going to dance and you were going to invoke and invite demon spirits, you had to go somewhere to do all that. You had to go to some type of a witch's coven or something of that nature. All you've got to do now is sit at home on a Saturday night and flash through your television and all of that stuff will be right there in your own living room inviting demon spirits to come in and take control of your mind, your children, your home, divide your house, rip apart your relationship with your spouses. And you know what we need in this generation? We need a fresh baptism of the power of a living God. Speaking in other tongues, it's not just so I can feel good. That's, not, that's even none of it, just to be honest. It's about empowering me to be a witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that witness is a testimony that is revealed in my own life. It's not just what I say, it's what I do. My testimony is not just tied to me clearing my desk out at an office environment and getting up trying to preach like John the Baptist, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. But your testimony is your holy life, your lifestyle, your consistency, your ability to face adversity and not fall away. It's your ability to go through the trials and the seasons of life that other people melt away at, but you somehow emerge unscathed by the power of the living God. That becomes part of your testimony. That's tied directly to the power of the Spirit of God that's on the inside of you becomes a witness for us and we need to see that emerge in our culture. Paul told Timothy don't neglect the gift come on somebody did you catch that? Don't neglect it it's easy to neglect have you ever neglected something? neglect can take place not necessarily on purpose out of, out of, the, out of sense of you know uh a betrayal or out of sense of I want to purposely avoid oftentimes this life in general the movement of life and then we find ourselves neglecting the very thing not valuing us deeply Paul told Timothy he had received a supernatural experience that was aided by prophetic word did you read that with me in 2nd Timothy in that passage of scripture where he told Timothy, or, or excuse me, First Timothy, when he said, Neglect not the gift that is in thee, that was in you, and it was accompanied by prophecy, by the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. I love that. He just simply brought Timothy to the awareness of the moment. When Timothy, what's the presbytery? People don't know. Well, that's, the, that's a ruling body of elders for, 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 for Timothy. That's when the preachers got together, those that had supernatural gifts. And young Timothy had accepted the call of God and he was making himself known and he was learning and he was sitting at the feet of Paul and he was serving Paul and that wasn't enough he got in that midst and all of a sudden the elders began to lay hands on him and they began to prophesy and they began to speak good things and spiritual gift I believe in an impartation of spiritual gifts I believe that there are those that have an anointing on their life and my, my supervisor in the military my first military uh, installation England Air Force Base in Alexandria Louisiana told me these words I've never forgot them because he was excited when he found out that a preacher was now in his office because he said when you work with a painter you get paint on you and so th there was something about being in the atmosphere of other spirit-filled believers who had the gifts of God and they were keeping it fresh in them and that agitation they could their gifts would then bleed over bleed over and the impartation would take place and that's how the Spirit of God releases gifts. It's through the hands many times and the words of others, correct? 
Many of us under the sound of my voice today, your life has been radically altered by a prophetic word. You would not be where you are. You would not have faced, been able to go through the, the difficult situation that you were gone through many long years ago had God not given you a word, that you kept that word and you believed for that word. I'm not going to take you on my journey, but you know I'm the pastor of this assembly today because of a prophetic word that was made about me when I was 17 years old. And I wouldn't forget that word. I believed it was from God. It had been stirred up, and I didn't let go. Paul told Timothy, my son Timothy, according to the prophecies that went forth concerning you, by these wage a good warfare. This is the reason why I couldn't make the military career. This is the reason why, even though I loved the church family that I had in Shirley and could have stayed there for many, many years, is because there was a prophetic word in my heart that had been spoken with somebody with a gift, uh, had spoken over me and it had resounded in my spirit and I knew yes I could become a, a career military man I could do all of those things but no there was something inside of me stirring stirring being agitated it was the spirit of God it was a prophetic word and God used it to direct my past thank God for that you can go home and call the 1-900 number if you want to you can ask Madame so-and-so to look into her little crystal ball and give you a false word about your future. But as for me, I'm going to stand in the presence of God and say, God, I'm going to trust for direction by the power of the Spirit of God. And I've learned God can bring me a word out of here, in here, or right here that helps my life. And I'm going to tell you, you're not going to get that through most churches that don't embrace Pentecostalism. Well, I'm preaching way better than you are shouting, but that's been my testimony. One day I'll go to be with Jesus. They'll put on my headstone. He preached way better than they shouted. <laughs> Come on now. Let's go a little bit farther. Paul told Timothy, stir it up. I came along to tell you today, stir it up. Some of you are fanning. You know why you're fanning? Because it's hot in here. You're fanning because the heat of summer has crashed two air conditioners on this side. The folks over here are chattering. The folks over here are going, dear Jesus, what in the world? If he preached on hell, seven people would come to the altar right now. <laughs> I can see it. You cannot, but it's really the case. It is the case. I'm not teasing there. Two air conditioners are out on this side, and that's why. So if you are a little bit cold-natured, then... Set on this side. If you're hot nature, set on that side until we get these others fixed. <clears throat> you didn't know you'd get that. It's not in the notes, but I thought I'd share it because I can't believe how many people are fanning out there today. Let me take you into something to close this message today. It's, it's something that it's important. It's more important than what we realize. And it's this right here. It's a, it's a statement of faith. Statement of faith. What's a statement of faith, Pastor? I don't even know. I came today because somebody invited me to talk about all Pentecostalism, grasping a baton. I thought that was for people racing. I, I don't understand all that. A statement of faith is when there are a group of people at some time in human history that come together that say, you know what? These are some of the truths that I believe to be very important. Now, we see things like that through Bill of Rights, Constitution, and the governmental side. We hold these truths to be self-evident, it said. So our forefathers in the Assemblies of God came together in 1916 to create the Articles of Faith that we know as the 16 Fundamental Truths. 
And I know that sounds very religious and very, you know, just staunch. And you're like, oh, God, I don't want to hear nothing about that. I know. I know because that's the era of our generation. But as for me, I want to know who I'm hanging out with. I want, to know, I want like-mindedness. I want people that say, how can two walk together lest we be agreed? Number 10 of those 16 truths, and any of, I didn't put, have them put it on the screen. You, many of you have this in, 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 in a printed form, or you also can get online. But number 10 of those 16 fundamental truths is the church and its mission. And so it goes on to talk about the church, what they believe the corporate body of Christ was for. But it's the latter end of it that I want to close the message off with today, okay? And to, 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 te to teach us, to challenge us, let's not let the baton of Pentecostalism slip through our hands. Because I want to be able to pass it off to another generation, don't you? The way we've received it, I want to be able to receive it from a generation and pass it off with as much grace as we received it from, so that as we ran our race and ran our journey, they'll run their race and their journey, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. That's what I want to be a part of. And here's what our Assembly of God forefathers said, that the assemblies of God, the assemblies of God that had been formed just two years earlier in Hot Springs, Arkansas, why does the assembly of God exist? The Assemblies of God, the, our founding fathers believed that they existed for this purpose, to give attention for the need for every believer to ardently, is the word that they use, to seek for the baptism in the Holy Spirit, to encourage you to teach and to encourage, those two words, to teach and to encourage. That's why I said today I'm going to revert back to my greatest gifting, and that's to be a teacher. I don't want to just stand on this platform and shout at you and say you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I want to teach you and encourage you. If you've received it, stir it up. Come on, don't neglect it. If you've never received it, then knock. Pastor, I've been knocking. Well, what did Jesus say? Come on now, what did you? Well, I asked and I didn't receive, so I'm going to get up and pout and said and say, no, it must be for somebody else. That's unbelief. Get it out of your mind. Jesus said, knock and it shall be open. Seek and you shall find. Ask and you shall receive. And I believe that word is for all of us here today. Don't, if you've neglected it, then change. If you need to stir it up, agitate it. If you've never received, three things that they listed as I close today that they believed were so important in relating to the baptism of the Holy Spirit that they said that the assemblies of God exist expressly for this purpose. And this is the cause. This is the cause. The subsequent results for us. It's not the cause, excuse me. The subsequent results for us as a believer as we receive the baptism and the power of the Holy Spirit. Number one, it will enable you to evangelize in the power of the Spirit with signs following. How many of you know that every one of us ought to be driven by a mandate to be a witness for Jesus? Come on, to be a witness. I've said it my whole preaching career. If God was through with you, he would have raptured you upon your conversion. But he's left you here to be a bride in a shining light, to evangelize. Evangelization does not just take place on the pulpit, does it? Evangelization takes place through your daily life. Every way that you live and the way you handle yourself. Paul said you are a living epistle. Every day you're an ambassador for Jesus Christ. And our, believe, our founding fathers believe that even as what we would call a common layperson, meaning you are not a pastor or a teacher, you too 
can have supernatural signs and wonders. You can lay hands on the sick. Come on, you don't have to. Listen, I want to challenge you, and I want to teach you, and I want to encourage you. You can drive out demons. I know you can call the prayer chain, and I know you can invite the pastor over, but I'm telling you, you get bold in your faith, and you get strong in the Lord, and you can break the chains of the devil right off of you. I want you to know that there is a power inside you that's greater than any oppressive power on the outside. That's why when people tell me, well, I'm bound to this addiction. No, you're not. No, you're not. That's a lie from the pit of hell. You are free by the power of the Spirit of God. When you get the anointing of God on your life just right, you'll learn that there is no oppressive power that can prevail against you because the power of God inside you is greater and will break every chain. But you've got to believe it. You say, well, pastor, how is that evangelizing? Because the, your testimony then resounds to other people. And they say, well, hey, that was so-and-so that was sick and now they're healed. Or that was so-and-so that used to be the addict, the drug addict, the pusher, the pimp. Come on, somebody. But now they're saved, sanctified, filled with the Spirit of God. That becomes a living testimony. Your life becomes a testimony. It enables you to evangelize in the power of the Holy Spirit. You'll get an anointing for your life. I believe some of you say, I don't even know what the word anointing means. It means to rub on or to smear with oil. That's what it means. In simplest form in Scripture. And what we mean by that as believers is that we believe oil represents the power of the Spirit of God. And as a Pentecostal, I don't want to do ministry in and of myself. I can go to a seminary like Jason's about to go to. But you know what? You can go to seminary and come out without any anointing on your life. I want to go to a prayer closet. Because when I get in that prayer closet, that's when the anointing of God can drop on my heart and on my life. And then I can emerge. Now, I'm not taking away from going to seminary. I'm just saying if you go to seminary, you need to go in with the anointing and you need to come out with the anointing. The power of God to allow you to be a witness. Number two, it adds a necessary dimension to the worshipful relationship with God. It's not about you feeling good. But it is about enhancing your worship to God. When you learn that inside you is the ability to pray in the Spirit and to worship and adore Jesus and to pray and to call upon the name of the Lord and to build up your most holy faith as you pray in the Holy Ghost and to then see what happens where it says in Romans 8 and 26, there are things I don't even know how to pray for. There are things I don't know. There are some situations that are so great, so confusing, so confounding that are brought to me as a pastor that I have no ability in my knowledge or experience to be able to pray for them. But I can get alone with God and I can trust that the Spirit of God can add to my spirit and speak through me words that declare the perfect will of God. And such a worshipful addition to our uh, ability to honor God and praise. And you say, well, Pastor, I don't have that yet. I'm not trying to belittle your experience, maximize your experience right where you're at, but always believe that there's another height. There's another place in God. God can always take you to a new place in His presence. And so I encourage you, Stir up the gift of God. Pray in the Spirit. Let it add that necessary addition to your worship. Get alone with God and just pray in the Spirit. Come on now, stir up that gift of God. And lastly, number three, it enables each of us to respond to the full working of the Spirit in the expression of fruit, of the fruit of the Spirit, and the gifts and the ministries as in New Testament times. 
What we're saying is very quickly is that when you receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit, then you are more ready to receive the other gifts of the Spirit of God. That's what it's simply saying. You start there, but you don't end there. Did you hear that? We always desire earnestly. I never change that prayer in the sense of what I mean by that is I continually say, God, uh, I pray for the best gifts to be in my life. Come on, are you with me out there today? That God, I want to see, and I pray, God, let the gifts, and I don't believe the gifts of the Spirit always are just wrought on public display. Sometimes they're on public display, but they're not always wrought on public display. There are people that have prophetic words that whisper in somebody's ear. There are people that have prophetic gifts that write notes and letters to people to encourage them. There are people that lay hands on people who are healed of physical sicknesses, not because the pastor or the evangelist from this side laid their hand on them, but because a saint of God got up, slipped up behind somebody and put a hand on their shoulder and just said, I want to pray for you in Jesus' name. The gifts of God agitated among us today. Church family, Pentecostalism is a slippery baton. It can go through our hands so quickly. And we'll be running around the race, all the way around the track, only to look back that we are now disqualified because the baton will be laying 100 yards back for us 100 years back in the history of our movement and not in a present-day experience. How are we going to change it? We have to believe. We have to believe that this is the will of God. For our lives and for your lives. Conclusion. Let's grasp tightly to the baton of Pentecostalism. Come on now. Don't be afraid to pursue. Ask. Hello? You know what happened? I already know what happened. I heard the ding. Ding. 12 o'clock. Got to wrap up, preacher. Got to hurry. I already know. I know tendency. It's not my first rodeo, people. <laughs> I already know, but you know what? That's all right. I know we got service at 5 o'clock tonight, but I'm going to say don't be afraid to pursue. Your pursuit can be private. You don't always have to come down to the front and ask somebody to pray with you to receive the baptism. Many, most of us, our baptism came in private. I believe in laying on of hands. I believe in all those things. But it does. the moment we make it a cookie cutter, thing we miss god god can do it you can be driving to work and it's shaktakai come on now now you can't be if you're listening to the wolf or something like that Uh uh-uh no no but you got on 101.5 and you got a song in your heart come on then the spirit of god can fall on you right there in your heart and life number two neglect not Don't devalue this precious work of the Holy Spirit in our midst. Don't devalue it. Don't get tired of hearing about it. Don't get, I'll tell you, the moment that you do, the moment that you you and I stop valuing it is the moment it begins this process of slipping through our fingers. And lastly, number three, stir it up. Stir it up in praise and prayer. Now, I'm going to ask Shane and our worship team to come back. I know it's right at noon, but I'm going to then ask, and this is odd, Let me tell you, but the reason why I want to do this, we're going to sing the song, if we can, in worship at the altar, the goodness of God. Now, the reason why, you say, well, Pastor, I would think that if you taught on the Holy Spirit or the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would then ask them to sing a song related directly to the work of the Holy Spirit 
or something of that nature. I understand that thought process, but the reason why I've asked them to sing this song is because as I went to bed last night and as I thought through the night on my sermon, that song, and I thought to myself, I'm going to wait and see because I believe Shane's going to have that song on the venue today. And when I got here, I didn't ask him what the song was. I had no idea what selection, but I just knew when I heard it right there, that was a confirmation in my heart. Now, I, you say, I know you just, get, I didn't just guess that. This is not, it's the goodness of God. Stir up the presence of God. Stir up the gift of God. Long for his presence. Seek his presence. Would y'all stand up with us today? Would our church family do something with me for just a few moments? Would you that can and that will just make your way to the front of the church at the altar for just a few minutes to sing? Jace said it earlier, and Jace, I believe that was prophetic. You said, God said, I want to hear my people sing. Did you know in Ephesians chapter number 5 when it talks about that passage, don't be drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit? Does everybody know that passage? The next verse says, by speaking to yourselves, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord. This song is not a pounding song. It's not a, 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 something that just pushes us so far into the praise court that we can't. Tra it's just saying, God, you've been so good in my life. You've just been so good. And I want to ask you just to worship today, just to worship let your song be heard. And then in your own way, knock. In your own way, ask. In your own way, seek. And I believe you'll find. And we'll trust the Spirit of God to have a liberty inside of us and a fullness and an agitation of spiritual gifts and callings and our pursuit after God. We're going to run after Him. Let's sing this song today collectively. You're a worshiper. You're a worshiper today. Has God been good to you? He's been good. He's so good to us. Come on, let's be worshipers today. I love him, don't you? agitated God. Father, we stir up our calling, our purpose, God. We stir it up in the Spirit, God. Father, we stir up the song that's within us. Your Word says you would give us a song of the night. God, we stir up the song on our heart, Father, in the name of Jesus, God. Lord, we pray, Father, for the fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit, not just around us, God, but in us, God, and that will flow freely from us, God. To, uh, Father, Jesus' words would come to pass exactly as they were written, Father. Out of our own belly. Somebody said, out of my own belly shall flow a river of living water. 
God, let living water flow, God. Let it flow freely in every area of my life, God, as it flows out of my innermost being, God, out of my spirit, out of my spirit. God, even now, God, feel unto overflowing those that have never yet received the baptism in the Holy Spirit, God. Even now, God, let cloven tongues of fire, God, fall upon your children, God. Even now, God, baptize them, Father God, in the power of the Holy Spirit. Your word says, how much more would you give the Spirit to those who ask Him? Father God, we pray, we ask in faith. Nothing doubting, nothing wavering, God. We believe that when we ask, we receive. We believe, Father, in the name of Jesus. Let the Spirit of God have such a freedom and a liberty among us, God, in Jesus' name. Father, Paul said that my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but it was in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, God. So, Father, let signs and wonders accompany the preaching of your word today. Will we worship you? Will we sing? Come on, let's sing. Come on, let's sing. We're going to just let the Spirit of God have us. Let people can stay as long as they want, linger as long as they want, certainly service tonight. But if you could do uh, There's a River. We do the, the, the old song, our old revival song of There's a River. It always seems to spark a little chord. We'll go out with a song of praise. Father, I want to ask, but even though I've asked previously, and I'll ask again, I'll just ask that there's a constant flow of the work of the Spirit of God in our midst right here at First Assembly. The Father, in the name of Jesus, God, we know it's not necessarily tied to this building. We're going to trust that when we have a life group and we're seated at somebody's house, the Spirit of God will move. God, was we, God have little gatherings, men's groups, women's groups, God, the Spirit of God will move. God, wherever we go as a, a witness and a testimony, the Spirit of God will move. But we want to be reminded today, the title of this message was Grasping. Holding to the slippery baton of Pentecostalism. But God, we recognize as a fellowship that if we are not diligent in our pursuit of you, that the very thing that you've given to us, the gift of God, and our experience, and the testimonies that are created can slip right through our hands. And we'll... Our testimony will be lost to antiquity. And God say, God forbid that that would happen in our lives. But that, God, we would experience the presence of God. In Jesus' name. Let's sing this song. You sing it. That was a word today. God said he wanted to hear his people sing. I believe that. <laughs> 